Welcome to Pathway to Faith Podcast, the media ministry of Harvest Church International Outreach, where we elevate and nurture families through the Word of God. We are so glad that you are here and believe that God will change your life through today's message. Let's listen. I want to minister for the moments that I'm allotted about God is no respecter of person. Whoever you have seen, have you ever seen anybody who was blessed? God will do the same for you. No, no. Have you ever seen anybody really blessed? God will do the same for you. You don't have to look at them and become jealous or envious. You don't have to talk about them. You don't have to drink haterade or anything like that. That won't get you to the promised land. But you must know this. That if God blesses one, he is willing, say he's willing, to bless another. And all you have to do is qualify. And to qualify is just be willing. (laughs) Oh my God, I'm willing. Glory to God. Well, go ahead and put up nugget number one, nugget number two, and nugget number three, and four, and five, and then you all can add whatever you you, you so choose. Nugget number one. Ready? Uh, Let's read. God chose to love the world. Now, we run through that real quick, and I've come to discover not all Christians love sinners. As a matter of fact, one of the signs that you don't love sinners, you don't witness to them. And you don't witness to them because you don't care where they're going. (laughs) Because you're all wrapped up in yourself. But God says if you you get your heart and mind on somebody else, he'll put somebody else's heart and mind on you. Let's read this again. God chose to love the world. So God loves the world. The church needs to know this because the church thinks God only loves the church. But God loves the world. Ooh, God. Everybody you don't like, God loves. There was a time people didn't like you. There's still some folk don't like you. But God still loves you. No, we need to get a hold of this. That God loves the world. That includes sinners. That includes the ungodly. The unrighteous. God loves sinners. Nugget number two, please. And all who accept, come on, read with me. And all who accept Jesus Christ on the basis of faith. Is that all right? Anybody who accepts Jesus Christ on the basis of faith, qualifies for the blessings of God. Look at number three, please. Come on, help me read. The guilt, can you see it? Ready? Read. The guilt of sin. Are there any Christians here? Are there any Christians watching me on the E-Church? 
then you have no business feeling guilty. Not when you can repent. You have no reason feeling guilty. Why? Because guilty and feeling guilty and feeling unrighteous will shut down your faith. The Bible says we can come what? Boldly. But it's hard to come bold to the throne of God when you feel unworthy. When you feel guilty. If you're guilty, repent. Glory to God. The word of God says he's faithful and he's just to forgive us for whatever wrong we've done. And then he didn't name what kind of wrong because it's any wrong. He didn't name the sin. It's any sin that we engage in. And if we repent of it, the word of God says that his blood will wash us clean again. Hallelujah to Jesus. Was that nugget number three? The guilt of sin. So the guilt of sin has been removed. Are you a Christian? Well, if you are a Christian, then you're not guilty. That's not saying that you didn't commit a sin, that you didn't commit a crime. But the crime that you committed was paid for before you were ever born. Jesus is not coming down again to pay for your wrong over 2,000 years on Golgotha's hill. He paid the price for your sins and my sins. And this is a wonderful time to acknowledge that truth because in a few days in this country, we're going to be celebrating what we call Easter. And all of what we do would be priceless. It would be, it would be nothingness if we didn't have this day that we call Easter. Easter, perhaps, is the most significant day in man's history. Because without his death, his burial, and his resurrection, then all we have is like the rest of the world, we have religion. And we're no better than the Hindu, the Buddhist, or the Muslim, because all we have is religion. But Jesus came and paid a price, not for religion, but for a relationship with you. And he doesn't want to be far off. He wants to be in your face. And he wants you to be in his face. He said, come, let us reason together. God wants to talk to you because he wants you to know him. Glory to God. And he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. Are you all with me? So Jesus came and paid a price for relationship so that you could sit on the front row. Hallelujah to God. Nugget number four. Faith in God. Faith in God. Faith in God. So faith in God is faith in his word. Hmm. So for me to say that I have faith in God, I have faith in this Bible. Hmm. So I cannot have faith in God and not trust this word. Because to trust this word is to trust God. It sounds like to me you can't separate the word from God. It sounds like the word is God and the word was God. It, it sounds like they're the same. So how can I trust God and not trust the word? 
Or how can I trust the word and say I don't trust the God? Well, how can I trust God if I don't know him? And how can I trust the word if I don't know it? How can you trust somebody you don't know? Oh, God. If, if Brother Marvin asked to borrow $100, I, I can trust him. Amen? But if a brother asks me for $100 on the street, I have to take a chance. And, and, and some of you are taking a chance. You're not in trust. You're not in faith. You're taking a chance trying to see if it works because you don't know him. I don't have to take a chance when I know you. Oh, God. I'm not taking a chance when I know your word is good. Your, your word, your reputation is good with me. I know whatever you say you're going to do, I know you're going to do it. And you got a track record with me. So when you ask me for something, you're not taking a chance. Amen. We have relationship. I know your word is good. So how can you trust God if you don't know God? It's impossible to trust him if you don't know him. Just like it's impossible to worry when you know him. How can you worry when you know him? You can only worry, talk to me somebody, when you don't know him in that particular situation that you're facing. And when you're facing something and you're not sure what God will do, worry will kick in. But when I know God is faithful, I can go to the back of the boat, put my head on a pillow, and go to sleep right in the middle of the storm. Why? Because I know him. And he said I was going over, not under. So no matter what it looks like, I know I'm going over. Nugget number five, please. Boy, this is good. Read it out loud. Say it again. Read it to your neighbor because they don't know this. Read it out loud. Ready? Read. There is a reward for living the faith life. And we all like rewards. And salvation is not a reward. Boy, I got you there, didn't I? How many are saved? That's not a reward. Who God? See, you have to work for a reward. <laughs> salvation is free, Jesus. But there is a reward for living the faith life. There is a reward waiting for you with your name on it when you faithfully serve God. And salvation is not a reward. Salvation is a gift. Are you listening to me? And a gift can't be a reward because you can only work for a reward. 
A gift is just something that's given out of the goodness of somebody's heart. Glory to God. Somebody bought you a bicycle and you know you don't deserve it. Are you all with me? Now let's go to John chapter 3. You know what verse you see it on TV every time you're watching sports programs. Some of you can quote it, not because you read the Bible, but you saw it at all the sports events. John chapter 3. And look at verse number 16. John 3, 16. Please turn there. I know you know it by heart, but, but uh, let's just turn there and see that it, it is still in the Holy Writ. For God so loved the world. Not just everybody in my church. Not, not just everybody in my denomination. Not just everybody in my family. Not just everybody in my little group. But God loved the world. God so loved the world that he did what? That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believe in him should not perish but have. Wow, wow. So God does not save by love. Well, this is going to get you. Love didn't save you. Somebody said love. Love didn't save you. Ooh, it's getting quiet. But love didn't save you. For God so loved the world, he didn't save. For God so loved the world, he, he gave. So love didn't save you. The love that was in God's heart for you caused him to give. And what did he give? He gave his only begotten son. That's why I don't understand people who struggle in tithing. How can you struggle with tithing when you have something left and God gave all he had for you? That's a sure sign of being ungrateful and unthankful. I have to say that because at Harvest Church, you know better. So you can't claim ignorance. Hallelujah to Jesus. So God does not save by love. God saves by grace. You must believe that he died for you. That's all a sinner has to do. I don't know what your rules and regulations are in your church, but according to God, all a person has to do to be saved is to believe on Jesus. I don't care what all you say they got to do. They got to come to your church 10 times, go through your classes, got to be dipped 20 times, got to get up in the upper room and tear for 30 weeks. I don't care what you say. I'm talking about what God said. God said all a person has to do to be saved is just to believe on Jesus. That's it. I don't care what kind of sinner they were. As a matter of fact, the bigger the sinner, the more they qualified. Because Jesus died for sinners. Is this good? So you must believe that he died for you. Now let's go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter number 10, and look together at verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in your study time, read it all. Uh, uh, Peter is talking to Cornelius, and Cornelius uh, was, was a Gentile. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that Cornelius 
was fasting. He, he was seeking for truth. And while he was fasting, a Gentile, he wasn't even a believer. But while he was fasting, seeking God, seeking truth, the, the, the word of God says that God spoke to Cornelius and told Cornelius to, to call for, to send for Simon Peter. Are you listening to me? Now, the only way Simon's going to come, we don't have time to get into that, but the only way, reason Simon Peter's going to come is prior to God dealing with Cornelius, God had to deal with Peter because Peter was prejudiced. And so God had to deal with the heart of Peter first before he could deal with the heart of Cornelius because up to that point, Peter didn't believe that Gentiles, you and I, could be saved. He only believed for the household of Israel. But God is dealing with this Gentile, Cornelius. And while God is dealing with Cornelius, God speaks to Cornelius and says, Sin. Why he had to say sin? Because Paul wasn't going to come on his own. Because Paul was a Jew. And Jews didn't come into the homes of Gentiles. It was defilement. Are you all listening to me? But God spoke to Cornelius and said, Sin for Paul. And when he sent for Paul, Paul came to Cornelius' house where Cornelius was there and a group of people. And so when Paul gets there, uh, uh, Paul asks Cornelius, why did you send for me? And if you read it in context, Cornelius pretty much said to Paul, and this is Pastor Hauk's uh, translation, I don't know. And when you read it, you'll see it, it's in that setting. Paul asked him, I mean Simon Peter, not Paul, Simon Peter asked Cornelius, why did you send for me? And Cornelius pretty much responded, I don't know, but God spoke to me. He's got Simon Peter's attention. And he told me to send for you. Now, we don't have time to get in it, but when you read it all in this context, you'll discover the first thing that Simon Peter starts engaging in, he starts preaching the gospel. He began to talk about how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Ghost and power who went about doing good and healing all who were sick and oppressed of the devil. He started preaching the gospel to him. How Jesus was, he died, and on the third day he got, he was preaching the gospel. And the Bible says that Cornelius believed and his whole house. Are you all listening to me? And now that they're born again, Simon Peter goes on a little further, and then he talks about them being filled with the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues as the Spirit of God gives utterance. And the Bible says they were all filled and began to speak, Gentiles. And it was a witness to Simon Peter that whatever God made available to the Jew, he also made available to you and I. And whatever God promised in Deuteronomy 28 to give to the Jew, he also promised to you and I. And what good is a promise if you don't know what it is? Good God of mercy. What good is Jesus being a healer if you don't know he's a healer? What good is it you knowing or, or Jesus being a way maker and you don't know he's a way maker? That's why you worry. 
when you don't know, when you don't believe that whatever you're facing, that Jesus can fix it. When you don't believe it, your palms get sweaty. You start losing sleep. And if you stay in that zone long enough, you start losing hair. In places you don't want to lose it. Are you listening to Because you worry. As though worry is going to cause Jesus to move on your behalf. Not realizing that worry pushes the answer away. Like faith draws it into your life. Because worry is the first cousin to fear. Mm-hmm. And God did not give you spirit of fear. Just think for a moment. You think God went through all of what he went through to save you, and now the devil done showed up at your door, and he's big enough to shut it down? The devil is a lie. You're going to make it through whatever you're facing like you made it through everything else. And you're going to make it because God's unchanging hand is going to pull you out again like he pulled you the last time. Somebody need to shout on that. Now, let's look at Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. Who are we? So somebody need, look, look up here at me. Look, look, hold, hold your Bible. Just, just stand up. You're sitting down too long. Look at me. Because there are situations in this room. And most of the time, when people are really going through a hard place, most of the time, most people don't say anything. They just smile, but going through all hell. But I want the person who's watching by way of our streaming around the world and those in this room, I want you to know that if you're facing a situation that seems impossible, First of all, I want you to understand it's not the first time you've been there. I can't get a witness on this side. This is not the first time you've been in trouble. This is not the first time. Come on, don't act like, you know, this is the first time you've seen what you're looking at today. It might be in a different suit. It might be a different color, but trouble is trouble. So don't act like you've never been here. Don't act like you've never seen this. Don't act like you've never been in trouble and God didn't bring you out. Is there anybody here God has brought you out? Well, I'm here to tell you that he's the same. Yesterday, today, right now, the next second, the next minute, the next hour, He's the same. So that means if he delivered you one time, he has to deliver you two times. And if he delivered you two times, he has to deliver you four times. Why? Because he doesn't change. That means every time you get in trouble and you ask God for help, Oh, Jesus. Come on, touch three people and tell them, say, he's going to get you out. God's going to get you out. God is going to get you out. You're coming out. You're, you're coming out. I don't care what you're facing. 
I don't care what the bill look like. I don't care what they're saying. I don't care what the lawyers are saying. You're coming out. You're going to win this case. You're going to win this case. I don't care what they're saying about your son. I don't care what they're saying about your daughter. The judge might say they're going to give your son 10 years. God is saying they're not going to serve one day. I don't care what they're saying. There's nothing to it. You better hear me tonight. Amen. I don't care what the world is saying. God's word is final. In my situation, God's word is final. I don't care what my husband's saying. I don't care what my wife is saying. If it's not the word of God, if it's not the will of God, God's word is final. We're going to have to work our problems out because nobody's leaving. I said, we're just going to have to work our situation out because nobody's leaving. Pastor, I've talked for the last two or three months about the clarity of the family. The devil is a lie. And some of you are under attack because of what I've been teaching. Because the Bible says that the enemy comes because of the word's sake. And he comes immediately. So you can't hear all that word on the clarity of the family and think you're going to skip through the tulips. After you hear that kind of word, you got to fight next. But your fight is not with the devil. I'm sorry to tell you that, church, because most church folks tell people they're fighting the devil. You're not fighting the devil. The devil is already defeated. Your fight is the fight of faith that no matter what's going on, you flat out believe God. And so the word says fight the good fight of what? Of faith, not the devil, of faith to stand flat-footed and believe the word of God in spite of the circumstances and the situations that you see. If what you see is not what the word of God says, then what you see is lying circumstances. Somebody better grab a hold of this. Did, did we read Romans 5? We didn't? Oh, well, don't get upset. Somebody in the room. Amen. Look at, please have a seat, please. Somebody getting hostile. Did you hear? No, sir. <laughs> Amen. Romans 5, verse number 8. For the sake of that hostile sister. Look at verse 8. But God, get a hold. quit just reading and then walk away and don't know what you read. Quit. It's not a race. Who cares if you read three chapters of the Bible before you went to bed and you don't remember one verse? You'd have been better off reading one verse and parked the car there and meditated than to read three chapters just to tell somebody you read three chapters and don't know what it said. There's only one place in the Bible where God emphatically says, if you read it, you'll get blessed. Only one book in the Bible. And that's the book of Revelation. That he said he'll bless you just for reading it. Hallelujah. Are you, are you all with me? Hey, let me do what I need to do. Romans 8, Romans 5, verse 8. But God demonstrated his love 
toward us in that while we were still in the club, still getting high, still chasing women, still chasing men, still lying, cussing, and fussing, still taking dope, still not paying people we owe. Can I go on? Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He didn't die when you started serving him. He died when God wasn't even on your mind. While we were yet sinners. So if God loved you and I enough to die for us when we were practicing sin. Don't look at me like, you don't remember? I do. I got both hands up. Very few weekends went by that I didn't participate. Even when I said I was tired, I found myself still participating, practicing sin. I was a faithful practitioner. And while I was engaging in sin, Jesus died for me. Well, if he was willing to die for me and he was loving me and I wasn't even trying to love him back, then why would I struggle about him wanting to bless me now when I am trying to love him back? I don't hit it all the time, but I'm not like I used to be when I was practicing sin. When I said I wasn't going to do it no more, I knew I was lying. God knew what I was lying. The devil knew I was lying. My best friends knew I was lying. And the man at the club knew I was lying. But now I'm trying to live for God. I'm just simply saying, I don't hit the mark all the time, but I'm trying. I'm really trying to serve God. And you're going to tell me God won't bless me now that I'm trying to serve him when he died for me when I wasn't serving him? You mean to tell me God won't give me a better life than what I'm living right now if I believe him for it? And everyone who are listening to me tonight, you can live better than you're living. And Jesus paid a price for it. Good God Almighty. I know every sinner who got my stuff, they better let it go. I'm claiming everything that God has purchased for me. And, and God didn't purchase and make all these things available for sinners. He made it available for his children. And it, it's, a, it, it's not right for God's children. Come on now. If you're blessed, if you're blessed, and everybody's children in the neighborhoods living better than your children, and you're blessed, what kind of father would that be? If God, if you own all the silver, and he does, and you own all the gold, and he does, and the cattle on a thousand hills, it belongs to you, and it does belong to you. The water's yours. The air's yours. The copper's yours. The brass is yours. The diamonds is yours. The rubies is yours. The jade is yours. Everything is yours. And you got so much of it that you paved heaven with streets of gold. And you got all that stuff. And I'm down here struggling to pay my gas bill. I'm struggling to pay my rent. 
on my mortgage and got quiet. I go down to the water company and pay something on it. And you own everything. How can you be so rich and your children be so poor? Who taught us that lie? Where do we get indoctrinated that somehow lack pleases God? Who taught us that? That being rich, you couldn't go to heaven. Who taught us that? Where do we get this stuff from? That to qualify to go to heaven, you have to deny everything down here. This is what always got my attention, is that everybody who tried to teach about denying stuff down here had it. Including preachers. Telling the people to wait till they get to heaven before they get their reward and then they drive off after service in a Cadillac. As a child, I had a problem with that. Why? Because God is no respecter of person. That's why Harvest Church is the way that it is. Because I believe God. I don't care what my other brothers and sisters are doing. If God did it for them, I believe God can do it for me. And that's been my attitude. Have nothing to do with my brothers and sisters. It has to do with, do I believe God? Are are you all with me? I I, I said that I hit myself. Say this, you can, you, can be, you can be a blessing and you can receive a blessing. Say it again, you can be a blessing and you can receive a blessing. On this side, say that again, you can be a blessing. Don't you want to be a blessing? Isn't there somebody in your life that if you had it, you'd bless them? Come on now, if your heart is halfway right, if you got a living mother, wouldn't it bring joy to your heart to buy her a house and pay for it? Or something that you know would make her happy, a mink coat or, or a fox or, or, or a rabbit, I don't care. But if you had the money, wouldn't you do something for your mother to make her happy? I mean, just give it to her and it's paid for. Wouldn't you do it? Would you do it? If, if you were blessed enough, wouldn't you do something? I mean, just pay off somebody's uh, college education. Just pay for it. And they don't even have to know you did it. All that matters is that God knows. But wouldn't you do it if you had it? Aren't there some things you would do if you had the money to do it? So do you think it's God that's holding it back from you? It can't be God because he said, if thou can believe, all things are possible. 
And then you have a role model, a contemporary role model who stand before you every service because I have never hidden away or tried to hide where I came from. And what God has done for one, he'll do for another. Why? He is no respecter of person. Boy, this is good teaching. You can be a blessing and you can receive a blessing. Say it again. I can be a blessing and I can receive a blessing. I can give a blessing and I can... Let me put it this way. If you give a blessing, I guarantee you, you're going to receive a blessing. Because that's a law if you sow. Mm -hmm. Let's go to Ephesians at the end of our lesson tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. I just don't understand. I don't want to hear about what all God have. I don't hear no preacher stand up talking about what all God have, what all God this and all God that, and I'm sitting here struggling. If I'm his child, if I'm his child, isn't he concerned? He, listen to me. He is so concerned about you having what he's made available, he's giving you the roadmap on how to get it. But some people are just too lazy to read the manual. It's, it's almost like you're giving somebody a gift and when they get the gift and they open the box up, it has a manual in it. And uh, you look at all the parts in there and you just decide, uh, I don't need to look at the, uh, the manual. I'll just look at the, the picture. Don't, don't throw away the box. <laughs> See, I'm finding some of you. See, you don't want to read. You, you don't want to read the covenant to find out what, what all is said, even the fine print. You don't want to read because that takes time. And who needs to read when they got a picture? And so you get finished assembling your faith without reading the manual. But you got all these nuts and bolts that we all can see. And so you try to trick us and say, those are extra. But they put them in there because it belongs on the gift. Then I'm going somewhere. Faith without works is dead. Anybody here have a car? Anybody here got a, a V8? Like a V8? Got a V8? Okay. Uh, a V8 engine? And that's, I, I'm using a V8 because a V8 is a, is a powerful engine. And, and I, I want to use as an illustration that faith is like a V8 engine. And uh, uh, Brother Oscar, you, you raise your hand, you got a V8. Um, so that means you got how many cylinders? You, you got eight cylinders. Uh, would, would your car or truck run the same if only seven of the cylinders were working? Would you notice? Would you notice if only two of the cylinders of the eight were working? Come on, that's how some of you are operating in faith. <laughs> 
Your faith is a V8 engine, but you're only running only two cylinders. And, and, oh, oh, and every now and then, you have to, you have to get a tune-up. That, that's what inspired me, my message tonight, because Sunday morning, Bishop Williams, when he was preaching, he came in to give us a tumor. Are you listening to me? He was saying, there, he was telling her, there's nothing wrong with your engine. The reason it's putting and sputtering is that it needs, it needs a tune-up. And so your faith doesn't work like it's, a, it, at it's optimum uh, power to work only when everything is in alignment. So when something is not in alignment in the V8 engine, it, it, it just doesn't work smooth. I mean, you're saying things, but nothing's happening. You're declaring things, but nothing's changing. Oh, God. I mean, you're speaking and thinking you're in faith, but your V8 engine is not tuned up. And some of you, you fail to realize you got a V8 faith engine, but only six of your pistons are firing. And the reason you're having a problem right now is two of your pistons, two of your spark plugs are not working. And I'm here tonight to give you a tune-up. I'm here tonight to give you a couple of spark plugs. I'm here tonight to fix your pistons. Amen. That's not properly. I'm here to put some oil in your engine. So that your faith will work. Why? Because without faith, it is. For without faith, it is impossible to please God. And that's what we desire. We desire to please God. So we don't please God with our good looks. We don't please God with all of the good deeds. We please him with our faith. Is this helping anybody? I said close, didn't I? You gave Bishop Williams three. Well, at least give me two. Are we in Ephesians? Ephesians chapter 2. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 8. Ooh-wee. I got you now. I got you now. Because some of you are looking at me cockeyed when I said in John three sixteen that love didn't save you. Now you're going to see what I said was the truth. Ready? Look at verse 8. For by, come on, for by what? So, so love didn't save you, grace did. I said, love didn't save you, grace did. Who Jesus. That's why any, anybody can qualify. All you have to do is cry out to God and his grace get released in your life. I don't care what you've done. As a matter of fact, the more you've done, the more you're loving. The Bible says that he who has been forgiven for much, love much. That's why I love him the way I do. When I think about the mess that I was in and the things that I've done and the people that I lied to and the people that lied to me, when I think about the holes that I was in, when I think about the slop and the mess and the manure that I was stuck in and I couldn't get out, but I cried out to God and he reached down with his hand and pulled me out of the mess that I was in. And he never talked about how I was thinking. He never brought it up in my face. All the things that I've done, he just washed me. He just washed me and made me clean and spoke in my heart 
that while you were doing all of what you were doing, my love never stopped. That's why I love him. I said, that's why I love him. Because only God could have delivered me out of the situations and circumstances that I was in. I was in places where my friends left me. People that I thought I could count on. I'm telling you, you can get in the place, you can mess up so bad, nobody will come. And you can get into some places, nobody can come if they want to come. But there's no lock. There's no door thick enough. There's no hole deep enough that when you cry out to God, that his grace and his mercy is not deeper still. He's well able to reach you where you are. And he did reach you. Don't sit there and look all said, did he? Amen. He did reach you. He reached down. He may not have had to come as deep for you as he did for me, but he did have to reach down and get you. Ooh, Jesus. Oh, Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the, it's a gift. It's a gift of God. Not of works, least anyone should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There's somebody that God is speaking to tonight through our e-church or perhaps in this room. You've been telling him no a long time. But today, your no's are canceled. And now it's time to say yes. I said, I said no to God a long time. God was reaching and calling me and I'd come a little ways in and, you know, I wouldn't come all the way because there were some things I didn't want to let go of. And most of the time, the things I didn't want to let go of were certain relationship with ladies I didn't want to let go of. You know, I would live right up to, you know, certain point. I, I last for a couple of weeks. But then one day, everything caved in. Everything that I thought was secure, it caved in. And when it caved in, I was by myself at two or three in the morning and I told God I was tired, that I had enough. But my struggle was I didn't know if he still wanted me because he had been calling for me so many other times and I said no. And when I got to a place Because I was in trouble. I didn't know if he still wanted me. And there was nobody around to ask or talk to me. It was just me and God. And I don't want to sound spooky, but I had a visitation in my bedroom. Just me and God. And he ministered to me that he still wanted me. I can't even articulate how I felt when it was clear in my heart that God still wanted to use me. My whole life's changed. It, it, listen, 
it changed so much in that room that I've been running with him faithfully now for 40 years. From that room experience, for 40 years, I wanted out so bad and I was so happy that God still wanted me after dealing with me over and over, people calling me out, going to a church service, somebody pointing me out, don't even know me, and God, going on picnics, and somebody at the picnic who I don't know, they don't know me, and they say something to me about God, and I take off running. And then one day, everything just caved in. I had a home that I had built. I had brand new furniture in it. Everything's paid for. Minister Gravity was here. She would testify how I was living when I totally and completely sold out to God. I didn't care about nothing. I didn't care about the cars. I didn't care about the house. I didn't care about the front. I was a single man, and I had what the world called success, and I mean I was in trouble. What they didn't see is all hell was coming in on me, and the stuff I had was not going to save me. As a matter of fact, I knew on the road I was on, it wasn't going to be long. I was going to lose all that because I was in trouble. And the community and the neighborhood didn't know it yet, but I was in trouble. And the long story short, the guy that I was dealing with, he said, how we're going to make a run down to uh, Amarillo, Texas. Never forget as long as I live. I said, man, I'm not going. He said, oh, man, come on, we're just going to do it one more time. We're gonna, I'm going to make a run. And I already had this dealing with God. And I said, no, man. I said, I'm not going. I said, you go ahead. He said, listen, I just need you to ride with me. I don't need you to do anything. I, some of you, this first time you heard it. I, I, said, I said, man, I'm not, I'm not going nowhere. I'm, I'm staying right here in this city. Long story short, my friend went down to Amarillo, Texas, got in a shootout with the sheriff and got killed. The next service, I went to church, and I had my Bible application in my Bible, and I sat in the back. And a man who didn't know who I was in the back pointed to me in the back, and I'm looking like getting to the back, and there ain't nobody back there. I'm at the back of the wall, but I'm, you know how you do. You know, I'm looking, and he said, you, sir, and began to prophesy to me. And I knew it was God. As a result of that, I went on to Bible college, and today I stand here as your pastor. Is our time gone? Hebrews 11.1, 1, stand to your feet. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Hebrews chapter 11, a very familiar passage of scripture. Ready, read. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. One translation says, now faith is the title deed of the thing hoped for. The Amplifier says in the latter part, bring, being, the, being the proof of things we do not see and the conviction of their reality and the conviction of their reality, faith perceiving as real what is not revealed to the senses. So faith, I almost don't want to say this, 
Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Well, I'm, I'm going to open up a can of worms that I'm not going to be able to really clarify today, but, but I'm going to say it to my e-church. I don't want you to get disturbed because I'm struggling with, I'm struggling with faith because not that faith is the substance of things hoped for, but then some teachers will say that God is a God of faith. This is D. And I struggle with it a little bit because faith is the, come on, talk to me. Of, so what is God hoping for? If God is hoping, then he's not God. Because the hope is to say, you don't really know how it's going to turn out. But you're hoping it'll turn out this way. Now, faith is the substance of things. Come on. What is God hoping for? And if he's open like I'm open, we're in trouble. Don't look at me that way. You too. You're in trouble and don't know it. What is God hoping for? Is God hoping you turn out all right? Is God hoping you make it to heaven? Or does he know? And when you know, you don't have to hope. How many of you hope you got a car outside? Well, that'd be, that'd be good. That'd be good. How many of you hope you came here in a car? One, any more? How many? I just said one. It wasn't one, but sometimes when you say one, somebody else will join them. <laughs> no, you're not hoping you came here in a car. What, do you, what is it? You know you came here in a car. So when you know something, you don't have to hope. You hope for something that you don't have. And how you get what you're hoping for, the thing you don't have, you hope for it. The thing that brings it into reality is your faith. Faith brings what is in the spirit realm into the physical realm. And you bring what you hope for out of hope into reality with your faith. Are you all listening to me? There's nothing you can do that God has ordained for you to do. That's why whenever you sense God is calling you to do something, he doesn't just call you to do it. He empowers you to bring it to pass. If God is giving you a sense to do something, you can do it. Glory to God. Project Destiny shall come to pass. I know it in my spirit. 
that the Family Life Center shall come to pass. I see the kids going in there getting tutoring. I see people going in there getting their GED. I see all kind of things going on in the Life Development Center. I already see them all on the strip mall on Parvin and some of the members owning businesses down there and the community in Kansas City patronizing their businesses. I already see it. The reason you're standing in this room for worship is that I already saw it as being a place of worship. I saw it when it was, uh, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Coke was Burlington Coke Factory. And you all are over there in the men's section. And the few of you that are over here, you're over here in the children's section. Some of you say, well, what section was I in? (laughs) Discount section. (laughs) But how can it be, uh, what's it called? Burlington's Coke Factory. But I walked in here and saw an edifice. And the first room we developed in this mall, some of you have never been in that room. And that's the room right behind that wall, the purple prayer room. I developed that room before we done anything in this building. And that room has never been remodeled. The same carpet in there, when we, when we built it, it's still in there. That Jerry Curl thing that goes around the wall is still in there. We're going to keep it until the Jerry Curls come back. But every tear of Mother Blanks, of every tear of every woman of God, every man of God who's going on to be with the Lord that prayed in that room, every tear in the carpet is still in the carpet. And every time my back is against the wall about a decision that needs to be made personally or for this church, I go in that room and I always get an answer. Did you say, babe? Yes, ma'am. What did I say? I said, when I go in that room, I what? When I go in that room and pray, I what? Yeah, I always get an answer. So why don't you get in the room? It's available to every member. And the instructions are in there. You can't go in there and talk. You can't take your phone in there and be texting. It's a prayer room. When you go in there, you won't even get, you won't be, you won't be discombobulated about the direction. In there, they'll tell you where the north is, the south, the east, and the west. It'll tell you what to pray for me. It'll tell you the prayer target. It's in that little room. And the benches in there still look fresh because most folks who go in there get on their face. And you can't go in there and seek God's face and God not deal with you. That room has been set aside, consecrated only for prayer. And as a member of Harvest Church, you have access to it. You just can't go in there gossiping. 
I don't, I don't, I've never taken anybody in there, even my friend. I don't go in that room and talk. Hey, brother, what, how you doing? None of that's never happened. Not in that room. I don't do that in this room. When you're not here, I don't even walk through this edifice with a hat on. Because in my heart, I've consecrated this space as a place, a place where we have a rendezvous with the Spirit of God. I don't talk on my phone in this room. I don't call nobody in this room. I'm talking about when you're not around. It's not Sunday. I don't walk through this edifice talking to somebody on the phone. I don't answer my phone if I'm in this edifice. I'm not telling what you would, I'm telling you what I do. And when you honor a God like that, he'll honor you. Are you all listening to me? Is this blessing, has it blessed anybody at all? So faith has eight parts to it. How many? Eight parts. Just like brother uh, Oscars have a, a V8 engine. And so your faith won't work. Bishop Williams talked about it Sunday, but your faith won't work correctly if all parts are not working. Are you all listening to me? Hey man, how many of you want to know the eight parts? Hey man, come back next Wednesday and we're, no, I, I won't do you like that. I, I, we'll sound them off real quick. Uh, number one, in Romans, uh, Romans 10, 17, it says then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So one part is hearing. Another part is believing. Another part is praying. Another part is receiving. Another part is confessing. Another part is meditating. Another blessed part is praising. But we don't do enough praising God. Every now and then I want to encourage all of you, just stand in front of your house and praise him. If you got an apartment, just stand in front of your apartment and just pray. I mean, I know you're going to get a house one day, but right now you got an apartment. Thank God for your apartment. Some people don't even have a place to stay. Just get in front of your apartment and just, just praise God. Amen. I mean, just stand before your car. Just thank God for your car. You may need new tire. Get, get around on the side of the car that, with the tire that's got the best thread on it. And just lift your hands and start praising God. We don't praise God enough. As a matter of fact, when you stop praising God, you stop being thankful. And when you stop, stop being thankful, you start murmuring and you start complaining. And you, you begin to always see what's wrong. Even with your spouse. So you start complaining. You, all, you begin to focus in on what they're not. Instead of focusing on what they are and give God praise for it. Did that help anybody? And then last, the last thing, a part of the eight, for eight parts to faith is that you have to do. Faith without works is you, you have to do something. So did you get all eight parts? Stand your feet and let's give God praise. Amen. Well, if you just got four of them, get with somebody who's got the other four. Amen. Hearing, believing, praying, receiving, confessing, meditating, praising, and doing. Those are the eight parts to faith. Amen? And all of them have to work for your faith to work. It's like Oscar back there. It's like him having a V8 engine and two of his cylinders 
are not firing off, that engine is going to, uh, it's going to run hard, it's going to misfire, and it's not going to be a smooth, good ride. Why? Because the engine perhaps needs a tune-up, or, or maybe it needs some valve adjustments, but something is wrong with that V8 engine. Amen? And if you get all eight of these cylinders firing in your life, I'm telling you, your faith will do wonderful things. Your faith will do miraculous things. There's nothing you won't be able to do. Jesus said you will be able to speak to the mountain and command it to be removed and cast into the sea. If you don't doubt in your heart, hallelujah, you'll have whatsoever you say that you believe. Amen. Were you blessed tonight? Thank you for joining us. Special thanks to those of you who give generously and make this ministry outreach possible. Click the link in the description to give now or visit hcio.org slash podcast for more information. Be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Even tag us on social media at Harvest Church KC. Thanks again for listening.